0: Would you do me a favor? Would you remain standing for our Old Testament lesson? If you'd like to reach down and maybe grab your Bible, or if you don't have your Bible with you, if you would like to, um, if you would like to uh, grab the the maroon um, pew Bible or the black large print pew Bible, our our um, lesson today is from our Old Testament lesson is from Exodus chapter 13. Exodus of Genesis is the first, is the first book there. I'm sorry, not thirteen thirty-three. Exodus thirty-three. Well, this does not look familiar to me. Uh, turn with me. Uh, if, if you're on the, uh, the maroon pew Bible, it's on page seventy-three of the maroon pew Bibles, beginning around verse twelve. Moses has had this amazing experience uh, with the Lord. This revelation of God's purpose for his life. And he's having a conversation with the Lord. And he says, Moses said to the Lord in verse 12, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore... He's speaking to God again. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said to him, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Hear that, beloved. My presence will go with you. I know you're tired, Moses, but I will give you rest. Moses responds to God, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And Moses said to the Lord, this very thing you have spoken, excuse me, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. Moses said, don't send us out from here without being with us. And and God says, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please, God, show me your glory. Don't miss this. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim Before you, my name, it says in capital letters, the Lord, that's that's our Bible's version of of being able to write the name of God. Yahweh, Yahweh, I am that I am and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And in his mercy, God said, behold, there's a place by me where you can stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. This is the very word of the Lord. Now, please be seated. Goodness, God, this advent season has invited us to know him more. Did you catch that? He said, Moses said, "God, I want to see your glory. And I don't know about you, but but I suffer from that same temptation, that same desire. It's hard for me to see God in the simple things and the little things, and I want to see Him in the great and glorious things and did you Did you see God's response? I'm not going to show you my glory. You can't handle it, Moses. And I think that he says the same thing to me. I would love to do that, Dave, but you can't handle it. And so instead, did you catch that? Instead, I'm gonna show you my goodness. I'm gonna show you my goodness. Because you can handle that. And and what is goodness but being able to see the good of God in our lives lived. Out in our lives. In this Advent season, through the eyes first of Mary, and today through the eyes of Elizabeth and Zechariah, we get this amazing opportunity to see the goodness of God, to experience the goodness of God too. To do that, though, you're going to have to understand. Uh, uh, what the context that we find the story in Luke chapter 1. You might turn over there while I'm talking to prepare for that story again. You have to understand the context. Again, God has not spoken in a fresh way to his people for not four years, not 40 years, but way over 400 years. Now, um as I was thinking about this last Wednesday with the people that many of you will sing for this afternoon, I, I was thinking, oh my gosh, they haven't heard boo from God for 400 years. Well, the reality was, they had his word, they had the Old Testament, and they could go back and refresh their minds. Yes, God has spoken. And I can put my weight down on what he's spoken before. But here's the deal. They had very real needs. Life was going on. They had very real circumstances which they needed God to incarnate himself. They needed God to speak into. And, and God had not done that for over 400 years. If you have your Bibles with you, keep one finger in Luke chapter 1, if you would, if you were able to get over there. And then just go back a few pages. You'll know that the um, last book of... Of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. I'm nowhere near it because I can't talk and turn pages at the same time. Um, but at the end of the Old Testament is, is this prophet uh, Malachi who, who is the last time that the people of God had heard his word. And I want you to turn on the Pew Bibles. It's on page 803. On your personal Bibles, it might be in a different page number. But... Malachi is prophesying about this amazing day of the Lord, this great and terrible day of the Lord. And and in the very last chapter of the very last book, of the very last time that God spoke to his people prior to our passage today, he ends with these words. Look here. Verse 5 of chapter 4 of Malachi. Behold, I will send you... Guess who? All of you are really tired of Elijah... I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Isn't that astounding? And, and if he doesn't, there's going to be this amazing destruction. But save yourself from that destruction. Watch, watch. Now, now my problem is, is I have a very short attention span, as you've noticed. And, and, and I would have trouble watching for a day or for a week or for a month or for a year. And I know, I'm, I know I'm treading on people's emotions because some of you have been watching for much longer than that. You've been waiting for much longer than that. I'm just, I'm just sharing with you my brokenness. I, I have a hard time waiting. They had waited for 400 years. For 400 years. For God's word to come true. And, and we began a couple of weeks ago by noticing this amazing song of Mary's that, that her life could be something that magnified and not minimized the Lord. And then last week we, we looked at the backstory to that as the angel Gabriel came to her and, and revealed to her that, that this 14-year-old was set apart by God for this holy purpose. And we saw the beauty of her, her magnificent surrender as she said, I am your servant, Lord. May it be to me as you have said. But today we're going back even more backstory, even more backstory. We're going back to the very beginning, the first time that God spoke in 400 years to, to one of his people. And in Luke chapter 1, we saw that it was to this, um, this priest named Zechariah. I want you to see if you're back in Luke with me now and, and you heard it from Sean in our New Testament reading, in the Advent reading. But I want you to, to see um, this description of Zechariah in chapter 1, verse 5. He was um, a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And that's and a division of 750 priests. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. In other words, his wife was from the priestly clan as well. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous. They were both in right relationship with God and with other people. And they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I mean, these are the quintessential godly people. And God did not answer their prayer. Well, not in the way that they could recognize. You see, they, they were childless. And and what they wanted desperately was, was to have the joy, first of all, of... Uh, of their own child, and and to experience in, in a real sense a part of the very nature of God. God identifies Himself as as a parent, as a father, and and they wanted to experience that. And and though they loved God and continued to love Him and to live in a way that brought Him glory and honor, um, God didn't answer their prayer. God didn't answer it, and 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 then all of a sudden. Uh, it comes time for for uh, Zechariah to serve. I was trying to think of an analogy of, of this priest thing. There's 18,000 priests in Israel at the time of Christ. And they're divided into 24, um, uh, I don't know what you call them, uh, teams, 24 divisions of priests, which meant that that twice a year their division would be called up to come from all over Israel to serve in the temple of the Lord. Now these are these are this is not high priests, these are just priests. And and they these seven hundred and fifty would make their way to Jerusalem and for a week at a time, twice a year sounds like National Guard, doesn't it? For a week at a time, twice a year they would they would um, serve. And then they would go back to their homes. They weren't yeah, there's only one temple, so they didn't do their priestly function anywhere else but in the temple. And and, and so it was, it was an amazing honor for Zechariah to be there that week. But there's only, there's only uh, one priest who was able to go and, and light the fires of incense in the holy place uh, so that the people... Could worship. Their, the incense was like their prayers rising to God. There was one priest that went by himself into, now not the Holy of Holies, the high priest only went there once a year, but each day would go into the holy place, the next room right outside. If you would imagine for a second, this table as the Holy of Holies separated from the, the holy place by a, a curtain, there was a table right here that, that was designed to burn incense. You were that close to the presence of God. That close. One curtain separated you. You remember, in those days, God God constrained himself to dwell in one place, in one place only, that was in the Holy of Holies. So God is on the other side of the curtain. Yeah, all those, all those um, Wizard of Oz illustrations come in, don't they? Um, God was on the other side of that curtain. One priest a day was invited to come and light. So it's a great honor. Someone calculated the chances of one of those 18,000 priests having to be the one chosen by lot to do that was about one in 10,000 chances of this, right? And so, um, but this is Zechariah's day. Now let me ask you, if you knew that you were going to be three feet from the very presence of God on this day, What do you think you would be doing? Um, I don't know. I'm just making this up as I go along here, but I I think I would be preparing myself. (laughs) You know, I would make sure that I did all the the ceremonial things I needed to do to be clean before the Lord to come there. But you know, I think honestly, what I also would be doing would be thinking if I could ask God only one thing. If, if in His wisdom, He selected me to be this person to to symbolize the prayers of the people, I would be offering my prayer. What do you think Zechariah's prayer was that day? Some of you know. God, I have, I have no children. Who's going to take care of me, God, in my old age? Who, who will I get to hold on my knee and... And teach about you, God. I think, I think I'd think i be asking him those things. God, why? I have tried, God, to live my life in a way that brought honor and glory to you. I'm asking you, God, for upwards of 30, 40, 50 years. It's one simple thing. Don't you think? Don't you think that you would be asking that? I don't think I'm too far out on a limb. I go out on a lot of limbs, but I don't think I'm too far out on a limb to say that that's what he's praying. Because did you see the angel's answer? I know it went by really fast in the middle of that ceremony. But the angel said, Zechariah, I want you to know that the Lord has heard your prayer. And your wife Elizabeth will conceive and bear a child. And, and you you're going to call him God is gracious. That's what you're going to call him. I mean, that doesn't work very well, right? Try that. Try that when you go outside for lunch today. God is gracious. Come on home now. It's time for lunch. It doesn't roll off the tongue, doesn't it? The reason it doesn't is because that name translates into the name, guess what? John. John. God said, Zechariah, know that, that you thought that I wasn't listening all that time. But I was listening i was listening god has heard your cry and and the answer is worth waiting for right because who was this child going to be in the parlance that they would understand this child was going to be elijah don't get weirded out it's not reincarnation it's not anything like that this child will will be will carry in him from in the womb, the Holy Spirit will be filled with the Spirit and will go in the power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. It was worth waiting for. God, God wasn't sitting there going, I think I'll just crush their hopes and dreams. God was saying, no, I'm going to fulfill them far beyond what they could have ever asked or imagined. I'm going to bless them they're going to be the ones who carry the forerunner of the Messiah. Now, now I want you to read them carefully. The, 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 the vows that they describe are Nazarite vows, where people set them apart for God's holy purpose. So they don't, don't have them drinking wine. Uh, don't cut their hair. You know, he's talking about the vows of someone who's setting themselves apart for a holy purpose. But my answer is worth the wait. Now, if the story just ended there, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? But but, Zechariah's like me. Zechariah maybe is like you and and Zechariah's struggling a little bit. Um, Zechariah's thinking about all the impossibilities to so go back to last week 's language he he's thinking, um, God, I know you're great and everything, but but we're way beyond childbearing years and and he, and he says, you know how and this is the difference between. Um, Mary last week and and Zechariah this week. How will I know this to be true? God, give me some sign, right? He's not doesn't say that literally, but in the question, how do I know this to be true? He's saying, can you just kind of show me? And and I almost said, bless his heart. Um, you know, um, yeah, some of you remember. Um, many people in, in the Bible uh, ask for and and. Got signs from the Lord. So it's not like Zechariah is pulling something out of the out of the woodwork. This is this is a reality in the people that, that it's hard for human beings to believe in the impossible without some sign. The classic case would be Gideon, who needed several signs to, to believe that God was going to deliver them, right? Uh, 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 and and God gave them several signs. Several times God offered signs. You saw one of those in the last couple of weeks. God said to Isaiah, Ask me for a sign. And and uh, not to to Isaiah but to through Isaiah to the king, ask me for a sign. He says, Oh no, I'm not gonna ask for a sign. He says, Well I'm gonna give you a sign anyway. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and you shall call his name. Help me. Emmanuel, right? God with us. So so Zechariah says uh, in fairness, Zechariah says, give me some sign, God. This is, I'm not going to go home and tell Elizabeth. I'm not going to go raise her hopes and then have them crushed again. God, how do I know this to be true? I want you to hear the angel's response. I want you to hear it. Unfortunately, the, I think it's the ESV translates it because it's so awkward in English. It translates it in a past tense. Uh, the literal translation says, I am standing in the presence of God. I am standing. First he says, I'm Gabriel. Don't mess with me. Right? And he says, I am standing. Not I have stood. I am standing in the presence of God. Don't miss this. What he's saying is that the kingdom of God is very different than the kingdom of this world. And and in their time and in our time, beloved, there's two parallel kingdoms going on. Uh, Zechariah was standing there in the holy place. He was was a part of this physical world. He was a part of this physical world. But, But... but Gabriel is saying there's another reality that you're not aware of and, and that is that the presence of God has broken into this material world and it's just as real. I am standing in the presence of God. It's just as real as the world that you can touch and see. There are, there are two kingdoms going on here. Zechariah. But because you needed a sign, I'm going to give you a sign. You're not going to speak again until this baby is born think that was a sign? I said, this isn't a problem. I can... Some of you are hoping for that sign right now. Shame on you. Shame on you. Yeah, he couldn't. He... So he comes out from the holy place. And the people have all been waiting. They're anxiously waiting. Because as soon as the priest comes out, they can go in. This is not the Holy of Holies. This is the, the holy place just outside that. And they, they are welcome to go in there after the priest has lit the fires of incense. And they're waiting and they see something is dramatically different here. And, and, and they realize that he has seen some epiphany. He has seen, he's experienced something that he can't put into words. Now fast forward with me for a second. We'll pick up the last of the story and I'll try and draw a couple of faith lessons from it. Uh, fast forward with me after last week, after Mary's affirmation through Elizabeth's pregnancy that God's word really is true, then the day comes when 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 John is actually born. And, and the people are all gathered around. They're so excited. I mean, we've had this experience in our congregation just in the last couple of weeks. I mean, people are just absolutely ecstatic and all kinds of crazy things go on. What are you going to call him, right? right. What school is he going to go to, right? All those kinds of things. Um, and, and, and they're all expecting that he is going to say, he's going to be called Zechariah, Right? That's not so unusual. Many of you might have children named after your, the father, uh, the sons or the daughters that are named after. Many of us have second names that, that are family names. Um, this is a very common practice. It was very common in those days. They expected him to say, his name is Zechariah. But Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. And being a patriarchal culture, they automatically took the woman's word and said, okay, his name is John, right? no. No, right? They go to the one struck dumb. (laughs) They go, John, this can't, or or Zechariah, this can't be. There's no John in your whole family system. There's no grace of God in your whole family system. There's no grace of God for 400 years, the best we know. This can't be, Zechariah. And Zechariah still can't speak. And he gets, and, and they're in vogue right now, he gets out a little chalkboard, right? And he writes, his name is John. His name is John, and immediately he can speak. Think he had a few things to say then? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, may we be struck speechless, God, unless we speak forth the great news of Jesus' coming. Unless our lives and our words reflect this amazing reality that two kingdoms are in existence. God do it again, we ask in christ 's name. Amen. Well, there are a couple of principles to take with us. I think there are uh, the first of all is this, is this principle of presence that we sing it and we say it all the time, but oftentimes we don 't live like it 's true that God is present in fact, if anything he 's more present than he was then 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 Uh, Zechariah was separated by the veil from the very presence of God and then God dwelled only in one place. The miracle of the gospel is that through faith in Jesus Christ, God can dwell in the hearts of anyone who puts their weight down on his work on their behalf. Who believes that Christ died for their sins and that God validated that sacrificial death by raising him from the dead, then then what the Bible says is then that the presence of God actually indwells us, and and no longer there is no temple at right this moment, right? No longer is there a need for a physical temple because the temple of God is in human hearts. The temple of God is people, both individually and then also as as a group. God dwells in their midst. So, so the first thing to, to take with us is, is even if you are in the midst of unanswered prayer, even if you're in the midst of what seems to you like 400 years of darkness, the reality is, is that the kingdom of God, not John's message, is near because we live after Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. And, and right now you can live moment by moment. In the presence of God. Not because of this physical reality. But because you've chosen to live in that dual reality. We're going we're gonna to dig deep into this physical reality. We are the representation of God in this physical reality. And God loves this physical reality. But, but this physical reality is going to end. It's going to end. And if this is all that you're living for, then... then it's going to be a sad day when it ends, right? But if this isn't all there is, if in fact there is this other reality... Francis Chan did this much better than I could ever do. He did an analogy of a rope. And I'm, I want to I just have you imagine for a second a rope that extends from this, this communion table to your home, okay? Picture how long a rope that is. Now imagine that that rope represents... Eternity okay and and uh, and I want to ask you a question: what portion of that rope do you think this reality represents? what portion probably thinner than a pencil line on the rope, right I mean. And every analogy breaks down at some point. But this world, this life is such a small portion of eternity that if you're living for this, it's tragic. It's tragic because there's so much more out there. Now imagine for a second that, that because it's so hard to see that, but imagine for a second, you're still picturing that rope to your house? Imagine that, that this portion of life represented two inches of that, right? Can you picture that two inches? what are you going to live for? Are you going to live for that two inches? Or are you going li- to live for the length of the rope? Now, I'm not, I don't want to tread on, on your emotions because in that two inches, there's a lot of heartache. In that two inches, there's a lot of need. And God cares about the two inches. But He doesn't want us to live for it. God is with us, beloved. He's present right now, right here. And, and he does hear your cry. But he doesn't want you to live for this world. He wants you to live for that one. And to show you how to do that. He gave grace in the form of John to prepare us. Remember, John's message was Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He, he sent John to prepare the way. But he sent him to prepare the way for God in the flesh. He sent him to prepare the way for Christ. Has Christ been born in you? You can have a thousand Christmases and they would all be meaningless if you never received the gift of Christ for you. But wholly beyond that, Christ didn't just be born only for you. God had a purpose for John while he was still in his mother's womb. It wasn't just as we saw last week that he could affirm uh, Christ in Mary. Right? That was a part of it. But God had a wholly greater purpose. And in fact, Gabriel said, this guy's life is going to be great. Jesus validated it later. He said, there's no greater man on earth than John the Baptist. Right? And do you remember what he said? But John's going to be least in the kingdom of God. You are going to do greater things than either John or even Jesus did in the flesh. Jesus said that. God has got ministry for us, beloved. He's got work for us. Whether it's in Tokyo. I think I saw El Salvador back over there. Yeah. And um, great to have you with us, Christy. Christy, one of our missionaries to El Salvador, is with us. She's going to be with us this afternoon at the the meal. Um, Wherever it is, God has got work for you. He's not done. Let your soul magnify the Lord. Let your spirit rejoice in this reality that God has heard and God has responded. And then then let's embrace these few millimeters of existence that we have on this earth as part of God's sovereign plan and help as many as possible experience eternity. Amen? Pray with me, would you? Thank you so much. God, for your word, thank you that that it's real, it's historical. These are real people in real time. But God, thank you especially that these real people point us to something even greater. If it's possible, God, I I just rejoice to see these children singing. There's so much hope, so much promise represented in their lives. I rejoice, but but God, there's so much more, so much more for us who are we, God, that, that you would think about us, that you would include us like Zechariah and Elizabeth, like Joseph and Mary, that you would include us in your sovereign plan. As the psalmist said in 139, who are we that you'd be mindful of us, God? But you are. Thank you for hearing our cry for Jesus. Thank you for granting us that mustard seed of faith, to believe the good news today. Thank you for choosing to use broken vessels like these to carry so great a treasure of the gospel of Christmas to a world that so desperately needs it. Be glorified in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.